I'm Scott Blair. I'm Travis Bozer. I'm John Whitten, and you are listening to Canada Out of the Closet. Hello, folks. No, John, not yet. Oh, sorry. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of Canada Out of the Closet. My name is Travis Bozer, and with me, as he always is, is my good friend, Mr. John Whitten. Say hello to the folks, John. I already did, Travis. Yeah, I know. I know you screwed it up yet again, John. I thought in eight episodes you'd get there. How do you know it wasn't planned? Well, saboteur. I knew it. (laughs) This is what happens when you bring a straight folk into a gay (laughs) podcast. (laughs) Well, John, we uh, have a guest joining us. Last week, my husband was here, and I don't know what I was thinking, having you and him in the same room on a recorded conversation. It was enjoyable. It was enjoyable. It was fun. But today, it's payback time, John, because Scott Blair is joining us again to join me and gang up on you again this time. (laughs) Welcome again, Scott. Thanks. Glad to be here to um, punish the... The straight, straight dude. <laughs> oh, so uh, jo- Scott's back because we're going to take some questions from you again, John, like we did last year. There was a pretty good response to the John's hetero moment episode. Uh, and so we decided we're going to end our year by talking about some more questions and some which, more things. Which seemed like a great plan, except you guys have done such a phenomenal job of educating me that I don't have a lot of questions left. I do have a couple. You but, so then I suggested that we open it up to through social media to our listeners, and they sent some questions in, so we've got a bit of a mix today. Good. I'm excited for it. I think we should jump right in with some questions yeah. then and, and educate John some more. That's why we're here. <laughs> to school him, as it were. <laughs> the subtext of this podcast. <laughs> so I was recently reading the old novel Catcher in the Rye, which I really enjoyed. And uh, there's a a little part of the story where the lead character's former teacher takes him in and uh, he he needs a place to stay. It's cold out and this former teacher provides him with this place. The former teacher would be about 10 years older than he. Uh, The main character is maybe 17 at the time. And uh, when, when the young man wakes up in the middle of the night, he finds that the host is sitting on the edge of his bed, stroking his forehead. And now there's a, there was a time in my life when my first reaction to this would have been, Oh, the teacher's gay. I see. And now my reaction is, Oh, the teacher's abusive or a pedophile or insert a different word there. I I think this is an important distinction. And I think, that perhaps this mistake happens too often in the hetero community. Yeah, I agree. It does. Yeah. It's, it's been, I think part of the, I don't know what to call it. Like the defense of the family or whatever those groups are. Like, I think that's part of the ammo that they've used in the past is that they equate homosexuality with pedophilia or they equate homosexuality with something like bestiality to try and dehumanize it, to try and... um, Undermine it. Yeah, right? And so I think that it's interesting, John, that you say that, like, you know, there was probably a time in your life when you that would have been your first thought, right? As you associated, well, he's gay, which if he was attracted to men, I guess he is. But um, there is that common association where (laughs) we put homosexuals and pedophiles in the same category and that's not okay. And I don't know that I did that intentionally or mindfully in any way. It was just that the first thought in my mind was, Oh, he's homosexual and kind of ignoring the fact that he's really preying upon a young Uh, man who's too inexperienced and young to make the decision that he's sort of asking him to make. Mm -hmm. But I guess I didn't really ask you a question. Is there a point when you would have conflated those two? Right. Yeah. Now you're asking me the questions. Is that right? In this case, first question in. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Did I conflate those two? Hmm. I guess because I didn't separate them uh, de facto, I I did. Yeah. Like I said, unintentionally, I think, I hope. Which I think is a common lazy way of thinking or an uninformed way of thinking. And when 
when was the first time that you read that? Like high school? I, I this is the first time I've read it. Oh, this is so the first I, time you I read it. I don't know so you don't what did, my reaction okay. would have been back would have then. Been. You're just thinking about what at the time maybe. If, it just struck me 80s, as I read it. I thought that's interesting that I I'm quite sure that would have been my first thought and now yeah. I'm obviously my first thought as I read it was this yeah. guy is acting inappropriately just based on right. age. It was I guess it was separating the homosexuality of it from the taking advantage of someone who was too young. Yeah. Well, to back it off from Salinger, um, I don't know if you remember Alberta Report, which was a very conservative uh, magazine that my family loved, as did I at the time. And there were all these articles back in the 90s about NAMBLA, which was the North American Man-Boy Love Association, Wow. Which did exist. And it was this sort of, uh, these men who I would think are pedophiles. Yeah. Um, in the sort of ancient Greek tradition of pedophilia, which is well documented. That's another topic. Yeah. But the Alberta Report always used this organization as the thin edge of the wedge that is going to get the gays into the society to... Um, convert or uh, molest your boys. And it was always taken from that perspective that it's going to be a gay issue. Mm -hmm. This is what the gay's agenda was. And as a closeted young kid at the time, I just thought, oh, this is horrible. Like, is this what I am? So this conflation of this sexual orientation between consenting adults to pedophilia is just damaging in extreme. Well, and this, I mean, that's a very specific case of, of reports on that group, yeah. which I've never heard about yeah. before. I that's don't know insane. they even exist anymore. Um, but I mean, even in the States, like through the seventies and eighties and nineties, and even today, as the conversation continues, um, you know, and it's something as simple as um, gay couples being able to adopt a child. Mm. That was the argument was right. that, well, we can't let them adopt a child because they're recruiting. Mm. And they didn't come out and directly say it, but I think that intention was there that we're equating it to pedophilia. Like that's how they're recruiting. That's, you know, and so it's a very dangerous, um, very dangerous game to play. And it's been in that playbook from conservatives for years. Yeah. Well, thank you for reading my mind because I never really did ask the question, but you've answered it. So okay. we're just that good. I don't need the question. <laughs> <laughs> we can just, you can just start answering my questions next answer. Go ahead. Okay. Well, I'm not clairvoyant. <laughs> now you're just, you're just proving a point here. now, John. <laughs> so the next question I have is um, with all the negative vibe we have experienced largely through our guests about LGBTQ2 plus experiences around religion and some of the uh, difficulties that have come up there. Why do you go to church or do you go to church? Who wants to start on that one? I don't. Um, I, I go once a month to sing in the church choir that you used to sing in, but that's more of a social thing for me. Um, I've stepped back Partly because COVID shut everything down, and I just don't really feel connected to that message in the same way I used to. So it's been an easy way to just stay home on Sunday mornings. Um, May I push a little bit? Yeah. If we took COVID out of the equation, would you still feel uncomfortable with the message? And Yes, and I'd probably still be going. Is that right? Yeah. Just out of inertia. But I admit my homosexuality and my awakening to that has been the the key factor in my questioning of my faith as I knew it as a ultra conservative evangelical. Mm-hmm. Are you still the church that you're going to sing at once a week? Is is it like a pretty evangelical kind of church? No, it's United it, Church. Of United Canada. Church. Okay, so yeah. it's very open and affirming. Yeah. Um yeah, that's just a convenient place to get a church experience. Yeah. Um, but my my faith has been shaken quite drastically, and I'm still figuring that out. Mm. But 
attending an evangelical church is no longer part of that equation for me. Yeah. And the main reason is because of your acceptance of your, your think, full acceptance think, of your yeah, sexuality? The, when I realized that I'd been lied to in a lot of ways about who I am and how what's wrong with me and I don't believe that there's anything wrong with me, it's like, okay, let's look at other things that I was taught that never really rang that true, but I was always afraid to ask the question. But once mm. this one lie was ba laid bare, it makes me question a lot of other things. I don't have to have answers now, but I'm allowed to sit in that doubt. That's something I've given myself permission to do. I say, I don't know the answers to this in terms of God and orthodoxy and all these things. Yeah. And um, I can figure it out for myself. I don't, I don't want to say, you know, not religious, I'm spiritual. <laughs> but <laughs> oh, damn, that's what I was going to say. I know, right? <laughs> I mean, you hear that? <laughs> it's so LA. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for your openness about yeah. that. Travis? Um, you know, it's interesting. I've been, I think, struggling with that more because of this show in recent mm. months, right? Like, since we've been doing it and other things. But, I mean, I, I'm sure I talked about it when we did my episode, but, like, I, I grew up Catholic. I mm -hmm. doubled down and went evangelical for a while. And then I did nothing for about a decade. Um, and and then I, about four years ago, I think it was, um, I came back to the United Church. And I say came back because I had played in some United Churches before and had some connections in United Churches beforehand. Um, but I wanted to sing again. I wanted to get into choir. I wanted to do stuff. And we had at our church the choir that was being led by a really great uh, lady who was our music director at the time. And and I had done some theater with her, and so I wanted to do more singing. And and so I came back for that reason and then found that I really, what I had missed from uh, being at church was the community part of it. And coincidentally, the church that I go to has a lot of friends go to that church. And so you get to see them on Sundays and you get to do stuff. And I think during COVID, when the music part of it was gone, and then doing this podcast has really made me start to question even if I need that anymore or if I agree with that um, the more we've talked to people about their experiences and the more we've talked about um, very specific things like Coy Nolan's experience of being at a evangelical run Christian high school um, and like I went to a Bible school where you know I've now been able to talk to some other folks who went to that Bible school as well. And I'm hearing where they, what they've been through. And it's just making me <laughs> at the risk of using the term that you just said you weren't going to use. <laughs> like, I feel like I've become more where I, I am a spiritual person. I believe in a higher power, but I'm starting to feel like, I don't know if I believe in religion anymore and struggling with that aspect and what, what I feel like man has done to religion through thousands of years and the way it's become politicized, the way it's become, you know, they have to weigh in on every single issue and we dehumanize people and we do all these things in the name of religion and subsequently the name of God with how they present it. But it's been very tough for me, like trying to weigh those decisions. And now that church is kind of coming back in two without COVID, well, we still have it, but we're able to do things again. Like it's been tough trying to figure out if I want to continue to go. If I still want to be part, even though I go to the United Church, which is pretty open, pretty welcoming, it's still part of that world. And I, I don't know, it's going to take me a long time to work through that, I think, and figure out where I'm going to be on the other end. I really have only gone to church. I don't know if you've noticed, John, because <laughs> we go to the same one, but like, I only come when I play right now. Like, I've only been coming when I'm playing music. Um, very rarely I come outside of that. And, and it's while I'm working through that, that struggle of that, like I just, the more I hear about these people's experiences and it just, it, there's a lot of anger, I think, and probably residual anger that I didn't work through, that I didn't have a chance to work through from what I went through. I rambled on for a while. <laughs> well, that's good. Thanks. <laughs> and I think to speak to what you were saying too, like the habitualness of it, right? Like that inertia of, yeah. 
of going. Like I grew up Catholic, so Catholic is very much about the ritual right, and the yeah. stuff. And and like I think that's also why I wanted. Like I think I was seeking out that ritual of it too when I wanted to go back. Yeah. Um. And I don't feel like I need it as much anymore. Yeah. I don't. I don't need those lanes anymore. Yeah. Sort of. I want to get out of my lane. Yeah. Well, thank you both for that. Uh, those thoughts. And that concludes my question segment. So we're going to move on to uh, some of our listeners' questions. And uh, I'm going to start with my brother who sent in a question. And he's a smart guy. So I thought this should be good. I'm like a fan of the show. Like, yeah. Michael's always like, I see him commenting on our posts on social media and mm. like sharing stuff. And like, yeah, he's been very He's supportive. a good advocate for us. <laughs> and uh, and he, he uh, prefaced and caveated in front of his question, which makes me glad that I'm not the only one being vulnerable and, and trying to be very careful that I don't make a mistake. But he says, um, it seems trendy to say I'm gay or bi or gender fluid at 16 years old, 14, 12. He said, it feels like it's heading younger at a rapid rate. Can we maybe put the brakes on or should we put the brakes on determining sexuality in the preteen years and let them play sports and make music and hang out with whomever? Well, it's interesting. I think, I mean, it's, it's an interesting perspective for me because um, I'm a teacher in upper elementary, right? Working with students at that age. Working with students at that age. And so, you know, we, I've had conversations with other teachers and folks before about you know, when's the age that we can start talking about it and when should we take them seriously and when, you know, stuff like that. And there is some concern that, you know, some kids might be identifying somewhere on, you know, putting a label on themselves for some attention because they maybe see somebody else getting some attention for doing the same thing. And that's a natural thing that kids do. It's a natural thing that adults do. Um, it's part of human nature, right? But... That being said, like I, I, are there kids that probably aren't actually gay that are giving themselves that label or bi or whatever label they're giving themselves? Sure. Are they doing it to be trendy? Sure. But at least these kids feel comfortable to express yeah. that or to explore who they are um, in today's world. I'm, I'm thinking maybe there's a positive in that because if kids are okay with saying hey i might be gay or bi or mm -hmm. trans then obviously it's more acceptable than it has been in the past yeah. because when mm -hmm. i was growing up at that age you sure wouldn't be well even when i was, I was growing up too like i and i mean i grew up in a small town not a, a a bigger center but like there was no exploring there was no talking to anybody about anything you were feeling um and the fact that we have an environment now where kids can can explore and can do that. I think it's the most positive thing ever. Mm. And are there kids who probably come out as bi when they're 12 and then by the time they're 18 realize, no, I'm straight. Like, you know, absolutely. Yeah. But great that they were able to explore that and be supported in that. And, you know, I think that's fantastic. As far as an age, I just, cause there was something in there about age, right? About mm -hmm. just a question of, is it happening at too young an age? Too young an age. Yeah. So, um, Last year when I graduated with my B.Ed., one of the last projects that we do is this like capstone project on some kind of educational topic, and we're given the reins to pick an area that interests us, and you put together a, a poster and the whole thing, and, and that's the what you present at the very last day of our <laughs> B.Ed. program before you get the paper that says you're a teacher. Um, and mine last year was, at, should we have GSAs in upper elementary, uh, which is not something that's been done a lot. I'm just going to throw in gay straight Alliance just in yes, case you've sorry, not heard the you. term. Mm -hmm. um, and so as I was doing the research for that, I was finding a lot of scholarly articles and research that has been done about how old are kids when they're realizing their own identity and kids are very young when they can identify something about themselves. And I think I said that because that's my story. I knew when I was four or five that something about me was up. I didn't know how to put an identity to it or a label to it, but I knew that something was up. 
And you were looking at the research, but I can say anecdotally from what we've heard from our guests that that's, that's exactly. somewhere between five and 10 has yeah. typically been their answer in yeah. terms of when they knew something was different. Yeah. And and then the statistics and, and the research are, I don't know, I don't know scientific terms, but like, you know, what that research showed them is that when they spoke to people who are now like out gay adults, say, they talk about, you know, being in an environment where they were encouraged to be themselves, even if they weren't ready to work through that or weren't ready to understand that, but they just were seeing that it was okay and people were being accepted for who they were. It was far more easier for them to work through it on their own and less stressful and less detrimental to their mental health through that process. Yeah. It seems to me that given how far we've come in representation and acceptance of sexual minorities, one, kids now have the terminology or the, mm-hmm. the language to use, whereas when we were kids, we had some, you know, playground epithets that, um, that you didn't want to associate with. But now yeah. there's language for it. And if it's more accepted, generally, it stands to reason that kids will, at a younger age, recognize it for what it is and maybe express it. And that doesn't mean, like you said, Travis, that some kids won't jump on a bandwagon or yeah. it just sort of seems like way to get attention. But I think that's probably the minority and I wouldn't get too I worked up so about too. it. Yeah. And I would think that's happening more in like upper elementary, junior high. Yeah. I would think by the time these kids get to high school, they're probably yeah. know where they're at yeah. or, or closer to it anyway. Right. Right. And I, what I worry about too, is if we, when we start talking about, you know, at what age, should we be able to talk about kids with this or should we be yeah. talking with kids about these things is as a teacher that concerns me yeah. to those talks because then how much do I have to hide who I am to my students? Mm, right. right. If we're going to say you shouldn't be talking about this until you're in high school with kids, then am I able to still go in and have a picture of Curtis and I behind my desk or right. And I better make right. sure that my students never see me kiss my wife. Yeah. Right. Same. Yeah, exactly. And so that's like the, like, where do we draw that line then? And kids are, it's a different environment now. Like it's, I think a lot of times those questions or that thought process comes from the time where straight was the default and straight's not the default anymore. And it shouldn't be the default anymore. Um, We assume straight (laughs) until we're told otherwise. I mean, it's it's a numbers game. Right. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. Sure. 90-ish percent of people yeah. are straight. but And I know my it, role. Like, I'm at a school where it's mostly women teachers. There's just a couple of us guys on staff. And I am the sole lonely, like, not lonely, but, like, yeah. I'm the sole LGBTQ plus yeah. staff member. And so, for me, um, I'm I'm the advocate de facto <laughs> because yeah, yeah. I have to be. But I set that up and like, I know that there's kids in my classroom who are hearing the word gay for the first time in their life. Mm. Not that I'm out flaunting it, but they know that I'm married to Curtis, who's also because of my school feeds into his school is probably going to maybe be a teacher for them in the future at some point too. They know that that's my identity. There's a pride flag in my classroom. I have LGBTQ themed children's books in my classroom that they can read during deer time. I have a pride Lego thing. Like I have stuff around and I don't think that's flaunting it, but it's just showing them like, this is a safe space to be whoever you want to be. And it's not pushing an agenda. It's not pushing anything onto kids. Um, and kids will talk to you about it when they're ready. And some kids are ready younger than others. And if they've got questions, I think we should be open with them. Obviously not in graphic terms or anything, but that this is a thing. And I suspect that you have quite a number of hetero based books in your classroom as well. Well, yeah, but not like, I don't, well, I don't pay enough attention to those ones. Those are the boring (laughs) ones, (laughs) but I do. Yes. Right. I have a number of um, like young adult kind of beginning reader novels because I teach grade five. So I have stuff kind of around that like grade three to five range and a couple things that are more advanced for that for some of my folks, my kids that are more advanced readers. Um, but 
it's a plethora of them, right? And, and anybody can identify. And I know, I know there's kids in my room who are reading a, you know, LGBTQ plus themed children's book and probably hearing some of those concepts and terms for the first time. And I'm glad that they're feel comfortable enough to do that in my classroom. All right, let's move to the next question. I'm going to guess that our listener is under 30 because it starts with all caps, OMG, please. I want to know about this litter box rumor circulating everywhere. (laughs) If you haven't heard about it, there's been a cultural trend of late where people stretch the categories of identity. For example, some young people even self-identify as cats. There was even talk of a local high school accommodating those students by putting litter boxes in the bathrooms. And the listener asks, does this discredit the LGBTQ2 plus community? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, introduces a little bit of, I don't want to say crazy, but... It's BS. Like, <laughs> I'll just say yeah, it. Yeah. I, I don't want to put the, rated, the sure. E rating on, so I'm not yeah, going to yeah. say the actual word, but like, that's what it is. Um there's no high school in town that has considered this. Okay, when you when you anything. saw this question, you I think we all questioned that yeah. whether that actually happened or not. Did you actually look into it? Yeah, I was like I was ninety nine point nine percent sure, right? But I have a friend that teaches at this high school, and so I sent a message saying like, "Okay, I'm pretty sure this is ridiculous, but if I'm going to go on the air and say this is ridiculous, like <laughs> I need to make sure it is." and yeah, she sent me back like a ton of laughing emojis and was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> like, so it's not. And this is to discredit. That's exactly what it is. Like, this is another playbook from that, like, focus on the family type BS that, you know, let's equate it. Let's just make it the silliest thing. And I see this all the time on TikTok or Instagram or wherever you're looking at random things where there's someone who posts some video about like, Oh, hey, folks, have you, you heard know, the latest? Yeah. Like I'm going to identify as a truck and this is why. And like, and they're doing it to be a holes to the folks that are actually, you know, to transgender folks, to folks that are figuring out their identity or whatever that means for them. And I, it, that angers me so much like the, to just make it ridiculous like that. Well, that's great to... Uh, so I, I didn't know that. I was like, I feel like Scott was trying to say something. I just well, kind of ranted I, on. <laughs> I don't want to take it in too weird of a direction, but, you know, like the furry community, yeah, which is, I don't want to get too deep into this, but there's a, an but, aspect of fetish and there's an aspect of fantasy and you get really into role play. So it's just people that dress up in furry costumes, oh, literally like foxes yeah. and dogs and things like that. And there's often a sexual component to it. And so it's like really strong role play. And if you take it to its end degree, you get people who will identify as that animal. Yeah. Um, even above their human genetic truth, right? It's like, oh, I'm a cat and I need a litter box. Well, you've, you've lost me. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And even if that's what you really think, one, I kind of feel sorry for you. And two, don't make the world believe your fantasy. Yeah. And, and then and don't, don't put it in the schools or that. And yeah. then don't try to intertwine it with LGBTQ+. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing, right? And like, if that's who you are, power to you. You be you, man. Like, I don't care. But like... Yeah. Do that I just, at home. I, I feel like the, the context of what's going around is probably like some TikTok trend of yeah. like... Let's make this ridiculous and make fun of people who are actually having identity crisis and, and, you know, uh, which is what I think is happening. And I could be wrong. There might be some actual trend out there where this is a thing, but I, it's, I just, I hate to see it be used in that sense. Gender is confusing enough in Mm -hmm. terms of defining it. And there's a lot of nuance there and disagreement, but once we're transgressing humanness, I think we can put a stop to that. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm glad you looked into that and researched it for us, so thank you. Yeah, like I said, I was so certain, like, I was like, yeah. this this cannot be a thing. But I just was like, I can't go on the air and say that yeah. unless I have well, something and, to back and it up, And that's exactly right? what's happening in mainstream media when that gets out there and someone yeah. hasn't checked it and yeah. they just throw it out there yeah, exactly, for fun yeah. or to be cruel. But watch horse troughs in the bathrooms next. Ah. <laughs> 
You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Next question is, it seems these days that gender identity has taken over the mainstream spotlight. Gay and lesbian stories appear to be on the back burner. First, do you agree? And second, how do you feel about that? I agree. And it's thorny. Um, yeah, I don't. I hate to s- sort of put it out there that sexual orientation has been um, sort of dealt with in a broad manner. But yeah, it's 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 less confusing. Almost everybody understands the concept of same sex attraction. Whether you are creeped out by it or not is another issue. But I don't mm. think it's terribly difficult to get your head around in some fashion. Gender is a lot harder because we've come to a point now where people are denying that there are, you know, male and female in a way. Um, It's become really messy. Uh, The trans movement needs to be respected, but there is a fringe, ultra-leftist sort of aspect to it that just wants to say all gender is a construct. Um, I will and like freely, just do away with it, like yeah. I, like, like I will freely admit that gender is there's an aspect of it that is a construct. Mm-hmm. You know, blue for boys and pink for girls. That's so arbitrary. I mean, that, that's very much a societal. That was, was Mattel. I read. <laughs> Thanks, Barbie. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the, you know, some people are even to the point of denying sex differences. Mm. I mean, clearly there are physical sex differences, but uh, I think brain sex is also pretty well documented scientifically genetically but sometimes you can get in hot water in certain institutions for even saying that um and that's where you know that's where all all the controversies lays and so yeah it it sort of makes curtis and i as garden variety gays seem just so vanilla and boring you know that my name's travis right oh my god (laughs) i just called you by your husband's name everybody does that (laughs) People that don't even know Curtis, like people that don't even know that he exists, call me Curtis. Like it is, I, it is, I don't understand. I just met how Curtis for the first time, yeah, uh, yesterday. So yeah. maybe that's why. <laughs> Sorry, Travis. <laughs> Sorry for mislabeling you there, but uh, do you have anything to say, Travis? <laughs> well, you know, I, it, yeah, I. In some ways, I wonder if the you know gay stories are taking the back burner because we're able to actually talk about gender stories now or about that too. Right. And like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think you're right. Like some, some of it maybe goes too far or some of it goes, whatever. I, I don't know enough about it to really have an opinion. Um, but we do have non-binary folks and trans folks and, and those stories are starting to be told more. And I think that it's important that they have space because, we fought for years to have um, visibility in media for gay people. And then I'm not going to say we got the perfect result out of that, but we've seen a trend of more. <laughs> and and now I think that's where the fight's going next. And I, I think it's great. And I don't think it's... I hate, to, I hate to say that, like, I'm mad because now there's not as much gay visibility. Because, right? right. Like, it's yeah. almost like... Not as severe, but almost as like straight people being like, oh, there's another gay movie coming out. Yeah. Like, what about the straight stories? And like, yeah. you know, obviously there's been billions of straight stories um, and not as many <laughs> gay stories. Yeah. But I think at the same time, you know, we've been able to get a little more uh, visibility in that sense. And so let's pass the torch on and, and let some other parts of our community get that. Hmm. Interesting. And uh, I I may have to take back the Mattel comment. I I don't think it was Mattel. I think it was a big department store, but I don't recall when I read that article. Anyway, sorry, Mattel. That started the blue. That actually started the blue and pink thing. I don't know. It's patriarchal, so who cares? That's all I. But they but they (laughs) but they did it intentionally to market. It was a marketing scheme, absolutely. And that's where blue and pink comes from. Exactly. Oh, look at that! I John taught me something today. I wish I could. uh, I'll kind of half. I guess he doesn't know the full details, but Yeah. yeah. All right, next question. Once you are out and you've told everybody you need to tell, does there come with that a sense of peace? That comes from Joel. First of all, you've never told everybody you need to tell. Yeah. So you never finish coming out, but yeah. 
more or less, I'd say. Um, the first few significant ones or the first sort of year or whatever mm-hmm. of your life, it's huge relief. Um, once the, all the hard ones are done, it's pretty easy after that. No, and I, like you said, I don't think you're ever done. And, and we yeah. talked about that last season. Yeah. That, um, you know, coming out happens. Uh, what did Bob Gehring tell us? Like, you come out every time you meet somebody new and you introduce your husband, yeah. right? Like, um, and so I think that, um, I, I like you said relief. I like that instead of peace, maybe. It's more of a relief, like that you, you've come out and you're <laughs> like, especially the first person you tell. Are those first few significant ones, like you said. Um, I don't know that there was, and I think this is different for everybody, like, and, and what your situation is and what your story is, right? Like, I know a lot of folks, myself included, you you come out and you maybe feel a bit of peace for a bit, but then it's also that balancing act of, I now feel maybe some peace from being able to be open about who I am, but you got to work through some of that stuff that happened while you were in the closet then too. Um, and kind of break down some of those walls that you maybe put up. And, and, uh, I've been in therapy for years because (laughs) like when I was in the closet, I put all these walls up between like me and my family or me and friends that I wasn't talking to about it or me and whoever. And then when I came out, it's almost like I didn't know how to interact with some of those people in some ways Mm. because I wasn't being honest before. And so it 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 just goes from one thing that you have to work through to the next yeah. thing. <laughs> There's a sort of like, personal reckoning yeah. to be done. I, I think I call it like, it's like a phantom closet where you've told people, but then you've got your own construct that, that held you in, that you've, it's like a walls only you can see that you've sort of got to work through. Yeah. That's like internalized homophobia or something like that, that you just gotta. Yeah. When I, when I came out, uh, people in the church that I knew a few of them would say things to me like, I just hope that you'll maybe one day be the person you were before. Right. Or that kind of stuff. Mm. And then you're, you're sitting there like just wanting to grab them by the shoulders and scream like, this is who I've always been. Like, you know, um, but (laughs) until I came out, I don't think I was fully like, I was a different person when I was in the closet. And when you have to, when you come out and you have to kind of find that way to balance who you actually are with who you've been pretending to be right? and to lose those parts of that person that you're not pretending to be anymore. Um, and so I think like, I don't think there's ever a fully piece about it, but just relief and makes it easier. Yeah. It gets better. (laughs) Okay. Talk about cliches, but But it's, it's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty certain I know what your answer will be to this this next question, but the question is, what percentage of homosexuality do you think is nature versus nurture? Uh, I don't think there's any nurture at all to it. That's my, that's just me though. I don't know if you disagree. Yeah. I would, I, for myself, I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's, I think who you are, Right, like your identity. Yeah. If you're gay or straight or trans or whatever you are, by I think that is hardwired in you. Yeah, you I are born that way. Lady Gaga proclaimed that, and we've agreed with it. Right, and like we knew that before, <laughs> anyway. But like, um, but I feel like there's probably aspects, maybe of stereotype personalities and things like that, that maybe could be considered more nurture in your environment sure. of what's around you. Yeah. But like, um, but I think at the end of the day, who you are and how you identify is 100% nature. Yeah. Can I take a shot at answering this question? Yes. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to put myself out there and answer the way I think I, the way I would now and hopefully be affirmed by you two for it. I would, I would use this analogy and say, if a child grew up, in a society where there were only homosexual relationships, then I kind of think they would probably imagine that they're homosexual and probably should be homosexual. And then someday they would hit the wall where they realized I am not homosexual and I'm having difficulty dealing with these feelings I have toward the opposite sex. So it's going to be in my answer, 0% nurture and but it may be the nurture led them down a path and now they're realizing no nope, this is who i truly am 100% nature 
Does that make sense? It does in the sense, I like how you flipped it. Like how you yeah. said that, like, you know, if we grew up in a society where homosexual was the assumed and uh, you had to come out as being straight, right? Like, uh, because then I think in a sense, I would say that probably most gay people, I can only speak about gay people, I don't identify as anything else, right? But um, I would think that most of us probably, for a period of our time in our childhood, thought we were straight and this was just like mm-hmm. puberty messing with your brain or the things that you think. Right. And I think that comes from nurture, which is the same way I think you were just talking about it in your flip scenario. So you might think it's nurture because you've been nurtured in this way, but ultimately it comes down to nature 100% of the time. If you're honest with who you really are. Mm. Yeah. And I just want to, I just side note to that question in itself, because you articulated to me that you thought that, question could raise our ire perhaps at at the very notion of it but i will say that at least whoever's asking that question is assuming that it's still not necessarily a choice um a, a child is not in charge of their nurturing and if that's how they end up even if it is through nurture it's not like the other side where i was questioned like oh i thought you just chose this mm. So the question isn't as contentious as you might have originally thought. Right. And I guess another parallel then could be it's nature, not it is, excuse me, nurture that has created what I believe exists out there in fairly large numbers where men particularly can never come to terms with the fact that they're gay because society won't accept it. So they get Mm -hmm. married and they have children and they just pretend they're Oh. heterosexual when they're yeah, not right. totally. and that again that's like the, to me that's a nur- that's, that's the a nurture. nurture yeah right? Right? that's a nurture like you you grew up and you were told this isn't right this isn't okay and so yeah. you've denied it and you've married a woman and, and then and you're had like, kids and i'm sticking that. with this i've right? you know right. only got 20 more years to look live, at so we had why would we I? had alison wearing on and look at, at her right, dad that's exactly right. what he did oh, right yeah. like he um was probably nurtured into that role yeah. and then later in his life was able to let nature Take its course. Right, yeah. That <laughs> sounds wrong. Express itself. Like, yeah. Right. Um, and was able to be true about who he is then. So we get to our final listener question, and it is, are there any arguments or struggles in an LGBTQ2 plus romantic relationship that don't really exist in a hetero relationship? I'm sure there... I, I can only speak to, obviously, the gay part of it, because... That's where I am. I'm in a marriage with another man. So, like, I can only speak to that. Um, and I'm sure there are. I mean, in a lot of ways, I don't think there are. When I look at my marriage, I mean, Curtis and I fight about who's going to take the garbage out and who's going to do dishes. And that probably goes across the board, right? But, like, I think there is an aspect of because we do still have to go through the coming out process as individuals, I think there is some things that that creates in you as a person that it would be different than a a straight person. And I think that when you get into that relationship and you have to work through some of those, um, I don't want to call it baggage, but I think some of the trauma of going through that and going through, you know, finding your identity and the fear of not being accepted because of that. And, and that bleeds into your relationship, whether you like it or not. Right. The fear of, of, of is this person going to love me completely and fully, which I'm, I'm sure straight people struggle with that too, for other trauma, trauma based reasons and whatever. But I think that that coming out process probably plays a role in it in that sense too. Does it give you a common bond that other relationships might not have because you've both gone through that experience in some way? I think so. But I also think that that's a very specific situation, right? Because there could be a, a straight couple together who both have gone through some kind of traumatic event in their life, right? Maybe they both lost a parent at a young age, and then you're going to bond with that person over that thing too, right? So, like, I, I to be honest with you, I wasn't sure how I was going to answer this question, and like, like I, I feel like there's got to be some some differences, but I, I don't know that there's like as many as. I don't think, think as many as you, yeah, as you think. Right? I think one of them 
And it would be case by case. Yeah, well, that right? springs to mind, and it's it's probably generally only in younger or early relationships is when one is out and one isn't. Mm. That can be really rough mm-hmm. on a relationship where one partner is always being excluded or swept under the rug in some way with the other's family. So, yeah. But then that can also translate to a straight couple where... You say know, say they're two they're ethnicities a or ethnicities yeah. or something, yeah. right? Like, yeah. and you're not sure how you're going to present that True. to your family, so you're yeah. playing an, that game too. Like, there's an analog in the straight yeah. world as well. Yeah. yeah, I don't think unique arguments or struggles. No. Like think? I said, we all fight about the same petty things yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. So, hmm. yeah, sharing clothes that could I don't know that seems like a Do bonus. You know, okay, no, this I need to get this off my chest, like. <laughs> Curtis and I, a long time ago, we went to see Come From Away in Toronto, and like, we bought the same t-shirt. And now we have the same, like, two of them, not like, one that we share. Yeah. But now, that's like sharing clothes. Like, and I, I like, I always have to, I'm going to wear it, I'm like, did he put it on today? And right. we've shown up to like, where we've both like, left the house at different times in the morning, but then we're showing up to the same, like, friend's house for a party mm. or something later in the day, and we walk in wearing the same shirt. Oh. And, like, and so that's where, that's where I, it annoys me. But that could probably happen in a straight yeah, couple, no. too. You literally just share the same shirt. That never yeah. happens. But Curtis no. and I do not share clothes. Like, yeah. we're, it's not Your own wardrobes. But, yeah. Your own closet. Oh, that's a lie. I've stolen some of his shirts before, because, like, I was, like, singing in a choir, and my, my weight had fluctuated a little bit, so I didn't have a black shirt that fit. Right. And it was, like, the day of the performance where I assumed my shirt would fit, and then I was like, oh, <laughs> crap. And so I had to, like, go to his closet and just be like, I'm just going to use this one. <laughs> <laughs> we won't ask whether it was larger or smaller. Right. <laughs> I wouldn't tell you either. So. <laughs> Very good. Well, great. That's enough of us talking. Uh, we're going to go do a little bit more talking, but just for this segment, that's enough. Uh, we're going to jump over and we're going to do our takeaways from this season. Uh, and uh, we'll see you right there. Well, John, we are at the end of the season. And just like last season, we're going to throw out some takeaways from the whole season and kind of what we liked that we talked about this year. Um, I'm feeling selfish, so I'm going to go first, John. You go. <laughs> I've got... Uh, Three, two, three. Well, I've got two really good ones. One, you know, whatever. But uh, my first takeaway is uh, don't invite your husband to be on your podcast (laughs) and expect it to go smoothly. Uh, No, it was fun. I enjoyed having Curtis here, but it was, uh, it kept me on my toes. That's for sure. I noticed that. (laughs) Um, The other thing is uh, uh, there was two conversations that we had that, uh, really left a lasting impact on me this year. And, and the first was uh, Alison Waring's. Uh, we talked about uh, her father, Joe coming out and, um, and kind of how that impacted her family. And I thought it was so interesting when she sat, talked about, you know, that she was, I think around 12 when her father came out, but she was into her early twenties or around 20 when she herself came out as the daughter of a gay man. And I thought that was so interesting because our coming out story often focuses on the person coming out as it should. Uh, obviously that's the important part, but I think sometimes we don't consider the the family and the people around them and, and what they need to go through too at that point. Um, and so I thought that just that, that take on it was just so great. And, and that reminder that, you know, families have to work through that process too. Um, and again, that's not an excuse to be a jerk to someone in your family who comes out, but uh, we also need to give them space to, to work through what they need to work through. And the other thing for me, John, was when we talked to um, Blake Desjardins about, um, about the closet being colonial and that the closet came to North America with the Europeans and that that was not something that the indigenous community had before. And and I've said to you, I think when I, when you think about it, like it's like a duh, of course it makes sense. That, Came on the ships with the rats. Yeah. Right. And like, um, it makes sense, but it's just not something that I've given a lot of thought before. And it was kind of a mind blowing experience to, to just hear it said and put out there. And it's something I've been thinking a lot about. And, um, you know, last month as we, approached our truth and reconciliation day in Canada. I, I was really thinking a lot about that too and, and how it plays into to that process. So yeah. 
Well, my takeaway, I can think of so many guests that to whom this applies and uh, their faces appear to me as I, as I think about this. It's the loneliness that so many have endured in their being closeted thanks to a society that just will not accept who they really are. Mm. I, I can't imagine. I think uh, when we talked with Jim, I, I, I said, I, I just can't imagine going through what I was going through in my teenage years without somebody to talk to. And here he was doing that completely on his own with no role model, nobody to talk to, nobody to show his affection to. And so many have been through that same experience. So I, I wonder aloud what we can all do to ensure that that isn't the situation for young people in the future. Mm. And as we wrap up, I just want to say thank you to our good friend and creative consultant, Scott Blair, for being with us today. Thanks, Scotty. Thank you. Nice to be here again, always. And, uh, and to you, listener, it's always wonderful to have you uh, join into our conversation. And you do so by responding on social media quite often with questions and comments. And we, we really love that because it motivates us. And we're in the process of trying to figure out if we're going to do another season yeah. of Canada Out of the Closet. And, and your comments uh, help us to decide that. So please keep sending them in. Absolutely. And yeah, thank you, Scott, again, for joining us today. And John, thank you for coming along for another season and letting me just make fun of you in the process. <laughs> it's my pleasure. And thank you, Travis, for coming up with this great idea in the first place oh, yeah, and including me. But anyway, I want to also thank you, listener, for joining us again and uh, for eight episodes this season and some more stories. And I think we've all learned something new together again this year. And that's really why we want to do this podcast. And and uh, like John said, we're not 100% sure what the future holds. Uh, we'll figure that out as we go. But uh, if we do come back, we we'll hope you'll join us again. Take care. This episode was produced and hosted by Travis Bozer and John Whitten. Our creative consultant is Scott Blair. Our theme song is Brighter Place by the Young Presidents. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Canada Out of the Closet. That's all one word. If you have any questions or comments that arose from this or any episode, feel free to reach out to us via email at CanadaOutOfTheCloset at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. This has been Canada Out of the Closet. Out of the Closet.